episode four. Awesome. Glad to be here. I know. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit today about running analysis because that's something that we do here. Mm -hmm. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about what that is. Sure. Awesome. So um, basically, we. We, we do two different types of things. Sometimes we just throw someone on the treadmill and we'll look at them real quick or we'll even go outside and just watch them run and we'll analyze some basic stuff looking at um, where their body is in space and, and you know maybe look at their foot or look at their shoes. But our comprehensive run analysis that we do here at Peak is um, it's, it's kind of a big deal. <laughs> um, so what we do basically is we put them on a treadmill for you know about 30 seconds to a minute, try to do a quick video from the side and from behind, and we um, analyze several different angles and look at what you're doing um, correctly or incorrectly, and, and also trying to put together what injuries you might have or have had in the past or that might be coming to you. It all depends on what your needs are. Awesome. And then we try to put it all together and then at the end we try to come up with the most important uh, you know, 10 or 20 exercises that I feel would be the most beneficial at correcting your deficiencies. And uh, what sort of software system do you have for that? Yeah, so it's actually called Silicon Coach Live. Um, they're out of New Zealand. It's super fun software. Um, it allows us to analyze in a slow frame-by-frame -frame analysis um, from the side, from the rear view, and also, you know, you can put, you can compare if you wanted to put, you know, Mia from now versus Mia from eight weeks ago, put them next to each other and run them at the same time. So it really allows us to do quite a bit of stuff. Um, I try not to get so far in depth that people are overly consumed, I feel that there's just certain points that you need to drive home and a picture can tell you a thousand words. Absolutely. Yeah, actually I went through my own running analysis yeah. recently, so the other day we did the filming piece and then today Brian and I discussed it and went through such a nice thorough job of the specifics and areas of focus that you just described. Um, I actually had an ACL injury I was teaching high school PE, I was officiating a basketball game, ran down the sideline, tried to dodge a kid, I didn't want to run into him, and boop, popped my ACL and it was awful. Um, it's a 9 to 12 month recovery, took me like around 10 months to get back into running again, so that was really tough. So every once in a while when I do run, like I do a lot of 5Ks now, um, I do experience a couple twinges here and there, so it was helpful to see ways that I was compensating um, and how we discussed that today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think that it's it was fun doing it with you. Yeah. Um, I enjoy, I love the process because it's kind of like going about things backwards. Um, you know, sometimes people come to me and say, oh, you know, my right knee hurts. I'm not sure what the problem is, but I love running, you know, and they come in and I go through my PT initial evaluation and my treatment, and then eventually we go to do a run analysis. But there's other times, like in this case, I've never really treated you, I've never really had my hands on you to see how your hips move or your feet move or your trunk rotates, yeah. but I put the video analysis together and I'm analyzing your movements for, you know, it takes me about an hour to analyze it all, yeah. and I'm, I'm kind of, without putting my hands on you, I'm like, oh, clearly she's either lacking in rotation or a little stiff in her spine or 
You know, and so, you know, as I was doing this, I was thinking, yeah, she did have that ACL surgery. I wonder how that's going to affect her run. And so it is really, it's, it's just kind of a really fun way of putting it all together. And it was awesome, too, the exercises that you recommended, too, for that, like, isolation, that one-side focus to really help me get a little bit more equal, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of my, it's almost like a pet peeve. Patients come in here and they say, and you probably run into this as a trainer, um, oh, I have to do everything on both sides. Mm. And I think to myself, and I, I tell them a lot of times, you know, you're not coming in with, with a, a symmetrical chassis. So, you know, if you, if you blew out a tire on your car and you went to the Honda dealership and said, well, you gotta do, you gotta do, um, you know, I need to replace all the tires. Maybe that's a bad that's analogy. My, no, that's my Honda right now. So. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, I just feel like you got to get even yeah. before you worry about doing everything equal. Right. So, if one leg is much weaker than the other leg, then you got to get the weak leg up to snuff first. Then you want to do everything equal. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I think a lot of injuries happen because we're not equal. Yeah. Either because of a past injury or. You know, some of us just have one side that's a little bit stronger from, you know, X, Y, or Z. And it's funny that you say that too, because when I was first recovering and doing all those, like, isolation movements on my right side, I felt really strong, and I was getting to equal and almost equal, and then I got just, you know, used to doing my regular previous surgery routine again, and then I realized, uh oh, I'm starting to compensate. So it's like, I caught up a little bit, and then I ended up going backwards a little bit too because I just got too comfortable. And so right. I think I had to, I have to kind of circle back sometimes and, and just check in and make sure that, yeah, I am taking care of that right side. Right. So, yeah. And you know, it's tough because you had mentioned sort of after we went through our analysis that you had the patellar tendon graft. Mm -hmm. You know, like things like that, you, you will never be equal right to left when it comes to something like that. Right. So you may always require a little more TLC on that right knee or that right quad yeah. or, you know, that right chain. We call it the posterior chain in the back or the anterior chain in the front. But you, you always need to pay a little more attention to that because of that issue right there. Until we get stem cells. Well, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Then I'll be good on that. Have you, um, have you, you know, in terms of running, have you reached your baseline beforehand? Yeah. Yeah, so right now, or so like... fast, even. Um, so I, I, hopefully when we get to do 5Ks again, yeah. besides you know, just the virtual stuff, yeah, yeah. then um, I can see that a little bit more. But yeah, like even like last year, so I'm like three months, or sorry, three months, three years like post-op now, so I'm pretty good. Like I'm back to being where I was previously, uh, but I would like to have a couple more like a five case to really test it. Yeah. I just haven't had that opportunity. Um, but hopefully sometime this fall. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, but like I'm right now, like during practice, I'm running like 25, 26 minute five Ks, mm -hmm. which is good for like practice for me. Like Definitely. my goal, I think going back, like when we actually have a race again is to do in the 22s. Sub 20. Yeah, sub 20 would be awesome. But, but hopefully 22 is at least for the first one. Do you, I know you ran yeah. a marathon in the past. Do you think you want to try another one of those or an ultra or uh, half? What were your thoughts on I, distance running? I like distance running. I'm, I'm content with what I've done. Yeah. Because it's also just a huge commitment. Oh, yeah. And like you have to spend all week and all like my long day was Sunday. My long run was Sunday. So you have to spend time like planting like your nutrition throughout your course mm -hmm. that you're doing that day, oh, yeah. which takes a couple hours sometimes.
sometimes just to oh, find yeah. the right spot. And then you run for a couple hours and then you have to go pick it up. And then, you know, you have, you know, work to do or you have family stuff going on. So it's a commitment. And just thinking about my future goals, I'm, I'm set with the, the shorter distance. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Very How good. about you? I know that you've, you've done triathlon, you've done Ironman before. What are your goals? Yeah. So, I mean, I think I'd love to, I'd love to get currently probably work on um, getting a little bit faster again. I mean, I think 25 or 23, 22 mm -hmm. was like very realistic at mm -hmm. one point and it just feels so unrealistic now. So mm -hmm. I'd love to just get a little bit more consistency into my running so that I could go out and you know, Thanksgiving, there's a, there's a great um, local 5K, the turkey truck here oh, nice. in Madison is pretty fantastic. Although actually that might be a five, say, four, a five four, mile? that might be a four or five miler actually, so yeah. who knows. Uh, but yeah, I'd love to just get a little bit more speed because again, it's like you were saying, the commitment piece right now is just a matter of time. And so I, I feel like I can commit to running more frequently for shorter distances mm -hmm. and you know, maybe I just get log some miles and then try to go actually hard a couple mm. times a week versus trying to get in like hour long runs where it's just that's right now it's not yeah. realistic for me. Yeah, I feel satisfied after like a nice like sweat yeah. and like a good paced run, like a tempo run versus mm -hmm. just the distance. And sometimes yeah you feel those twinges if you go like really far. At least yeah. for me. Maybe I gotta work on it. <laughs> yeah. Well but so yeah. um, another thing too when we work with runners, you know, one of the things that I find that is so helpful for you and I when we look at, because we spend a good chunk of time working with some of our runners, mm -hmm. um, you know, our high level runners, we have some great runners that come through here to peak, mm -hmm. but some of the sort of average or mid-tier guys and gals, they don't, they don't really spend a whole lot of time on hill runs um, mm -hmm. or, or hill work, I should say, track work, mm -hmm. drills. Um, you know, they just basically, they go for a run. They and go for a run. And kind of the same for a run. Run time too. Yeah, right? same loop, same distance, same speed. Constant pavement, maybe instead of like some grass to right. between. Right, So I think that's one of the things that we really try to talk to some of our um, patients and clients about. And, uh, you know, go, go with it from there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you talked about working in different planes. This very important for movement. Totally. Too, right? like runners are just used to kind of going forward, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. And so you'll see that some people, like you can totally predict too, when you see someone come in who's, you know, a stud in cross country, but they've never played another sport in their life. Mm -hmm. No basketball, no hockey, no, you know, tennis or golf or, you know, those, those other sports utilize your, a totally different group of muscles. Yeah. So when you get that tri, like when I say triathlete or that three season athlete who comes in the basketball, football, soccer, and runner, mm -hmm. they're completely different body types. And, and a lot of times they're actually less prone to injury for that reason, other than, you know, it's different if you break a collarbone because you, you're a wide receiver, that's yeah. not the type of injury. But just like the repetitive strain injuries, wow. you really can prevent just by being more well-rounded. Wow. How many, um, would you say like a week do you do for running analysis? Do you do like once? Um, you know, it's it's spotty. So when when I get um, when I get somebody from a high school team, a yeah. lot of times it spreads, and there will be two or three people oh. all at once that want to get it done. And then sometimes I can go months and months without it. If you get um, a good coach, it like sends the whole team. Exactly. Just go get running analysis. But it's fun. Um, it does take a lot of work from my end, but mm -hmm. it's just like. 
it's sort of what I always dreamt of being being that sports PT mm -hmm. because I get to actually analyze them their sport and then put it to action with their body and usually I'm also treating them so I get to treat the mechanical dysfunctions with my hands mm -hmm. and then the neuromuscular stuff is basically your homework and then the motor control is both of us sort of working to try to figure out what their biomechanics are lacking and where they need to be addressed. Well, that's cool. You, you see the whole process, right? right. You see the, maybe even the pre-injury, the injury, mm -hmm. the post-injury, yeah. the running analysis, and then what they do after that running analysis. So that's, that's interesting. Yeah. And it's so cool having you here because that, that just adds to the, specifically the neuromuscular and then the motor control piece, um, because that's, that's your expertise, yeah. being able to help hone the skill. So, you know, I can tell someone you need to do a little bit more of this or less of that, but they need the practice. You know, they always talk about 10,000 hours of practice to become an expert at something. So being that you are providing the supervision and the guidance, they will benefit that much more mm -hmm. than if you uh, just tell somebody to go home and do it. Exactly. You know, how many times do you say, so have you been doing those exercises? Like, yeah, yeah. The next step I always say is, all right, so show me. And then they, you know, do it again. And, and 50% of the time, they, they did a pretty good job, and I don't want to make them feel bad, but the truth is, they could use a little bit more tweaking here right. and there. And sometimes it's that confidence piece. I know that, like, I was nervous when I first had to do my, like, first few running steps again. Like, it's scary. Oh, yeah. And sometimes people have that really bad mental block, mm -hmm. for sure. I'm sure you see it all the time with the yeah. coming in. And, yeah. yeah. Did you... What, what avenues did you use to overcome that mental block? Just practice. Yeah. Um, taking it slow and then adding a couple more quick steps to something maybe, um, you know, and talking to some of my friends who went through the same injury mm -hmm. and like they're doing so well. So like I can be that person too. I, that was motivation for me. For yeah. Sure. And I do think the support piece and knowing some people who've been through that or been down that block. Yeah. You know, you can see the same thing with someone who's had a knee replacement or or an ankle surgery of some sort, when you meet other people who've gone through that, yeah. they definitely feel better um, about it all. Yeah, and it's like that whole Adrian Peterson thing, yeah. right? He broke the record after his nine month mm -hmm. recovery or after his ACL surgery. So I'm like, that'll be me too. Exactly. <laughs> so I need to be beating those records again, right? Uh -huh. So, yeah. cool. Awesome. So thanks, Brian. Yeah, that was really helpful and uh, I'm looking forward to just, you know, now starting that new plan for myself to uh -huh. just try to get better at those compensations. Yeah, so I think maybe what we'll do is we'll take a look at you in maybe like 8 to 12 weeks mm. um, and put you on the treadmill again and just do like a little bit of a comparison um, and see if, I think if she truly puts herself on a good plan, mm. it'll be awesome to compare. And there's really like three slides that I want to see where, where she's at. Mm -hmm. You know, today being day zero, and then you know three months from now, see where she's at. I mean, even six six weeks, you could check a look. That sounds great. Yeah. Cool. All right. Stay tuned. All right. Cheers. Today, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about your run analysis. So, um, before we get started too much, why don't you just talk to me a little bit about your you know give me like a 60 second window into your running history. Sure. So I started out from a young age running 5Ks, loved it. Um, once I got to college, I met a lot of running friends who did a lot of endurance training, marathon runs. I um, met my husband, he's a big marathon runner, so I definitely upped it a little bit. But um, throughout different training processes and also being a PE teacher before this position, I tore my ACL. 
and I tore my right ACL and um, had a nine-month recovery through that, and it took a while to get back into running. So I'm really curious to see uh, what you find here in my running analysis. Um, yeah. So real quick, when was the injury? That was... Surgery, I should say. Well, the injury was December 2016. The surgery was April 2017, so like a four-month gap. Okay, so April 17, so we're basically three three years out, mm -hmm. um, approximately. Exactly. And when did you first try to get back into running after rehab? Or during your rehab? Um, so I want to say that just like basic running, probably around like the two-month mark. Okay, so about eight weeks. So that's yeah. pretty standard for a young athlete. So awesome. Well, today is May 29, 2020, and Mia and I are here to uh, talk about the run analysis that I do here. And most importantly, I'm here to talk to Mia about her specific run analysis. So awesome. without further ado, we'll just move on and get after it. So we're going to look at <clears throat> at least 20 different points um, and various angles, and I tend to spend um, more time on the things that are deficient or problematic because there's no sense in talking about all the things that you do great. Mm. And to be totally honest, you do a lot of things really well, so we'll probably gloss over some things, but then we'd like to specifically talk about um, some other things that I think you do need to work on. Mm. And the, the premise of the run analysis is the first about 30 minutes or so we'll discuss those details and then I like to spend at least 20 minutes giving you the most important exercises to address your deficiencies in order to um, figure out what, what it is that you can do on your own in terms of homework to clean up your, your biomechanics. Awesome. So without further ado, we'll go after, uh, I think I just said that twice already, so that's awesome. All right, <laughs> tibial angle. So the tibia is your shin bone, and right here we're looking at what I consider to be your foot strike, and for 90% of runners it's usually a heel strike, but that's really kind of not the point that we're trying to drive home with this first caption. We're looking at when your foot hits the ground first, that instant that it hits, we freeze the frame and we measure the verticality of your shin bone. So some people may hit like this, some people may hit like this, and some people are in between. Mm. Um, the angle that your tibia is at, so the sharper the angle, the greater amount of problems that can arise. So you were at five degrees on your right and two degrees on your left. Um, both of those are very good. We, you know, we don't like it to be 10 or 15 degrees. Even 10 is not bad. It's, it's really, um, it's most advantageous to be as close to vertical or as close to zero as possible. Mm. So I was, I was kind of curious when I saw that your right side was a little bit worse than your left mm. on this, but again, um, not bad at all. Makes sense. As a little side note, I texted her last night saying, hey, which knee was your ACL again? Because I was um, very curious as I was looking through this thinking, oh, I think I'm pretty sure her right side is more deficient. And, and in this case, I was right, although yeah. it's a 50-50 anyway. So uh, here we're looking at vertical alignment. So we're just looking at how your rib cage and your pelvis stack on top of your legs and um, we're looking at where your head and your, your neck are relative to your upper torso. So, all in all, I'd say you did very good with this. I almost feel like you're a little bit too upright. So this is, you know, a lot of things in, with running, they say are kind of opinion-based, you know, based on some fact. What I've heard is that 
too much verticality is, you know, you do want to be upright, but a slight forward lean from your trunk or torso is not a bad thing because it can help allowing your glute muscles to fire more uh, efficiently. Mm. And you also, especially on longer distance, if you're too upright, you're going to possibly lose some of the trunk rotation, which we'll talk about soon. But you're also overusing some of these muscles here that are called your erector spinae muscles. So they could actually give you some, some problems in the future if you were to be running with too much of an upright posture. So I would suggest maybe a very slight amount of relaxing of your upper torso and maybe even working to try to get your trunk a little bit forward. And again, this is, depends on whether if she had complaints coming in saying, oh, well, you know, I have this X, Y, and Z. Mm. Okay, <clears throat> this might be one of the most telling slides from a side view perspective. So, at landing, same angle that we discussed earlier, we're looking to see what the angle of her knee is when she lands. So, Mia's right knee, just when you look at it before you even put any angles or measurements on there, you just try to look at it and you see that left leg looks more bent. Mm. It is not uncommon after a surgery like an ACL to have a little bit more rigidity at landing, mm. which usually is because there's a little bit of a lack of trust or a lack of strength in that sort of group of muscles that absorb shock. So there's something called active compliance. And in this case, I mean, it's only five degrees, but five degrees is kind of a lot when you think that we're, you know, our ideal number is probably right around 155 or so. So if she's two degrees off on the left and seven degrees off on the right, that's, that's kind of a big difference. Um, so I would just give her some certain exercises in about half an hour that are gonna hopefully help to get a little bit more knee bend at landing, especially on that right leg. Mm. All right, this is kind of a non-issue or a moot point. Um, we look at your angle of inclination when your foot hits the ground. Now again, some people might even be a toe land, some people might be foot flat. In her case, she was a little bit of a heel strike, but it's very subtle, and that's a good thing. Um, 25 degrees approximately, maybe 20-ish, is, is about the top of, or the ceiling of what we consider acceptable. And in her case, um, she was at 13 or 19, so very, very low, and that's good. Mm. Sometimes there's, you'll get shin splints or some other types of problems that can arise, even a possible stress fracture when there's excessive amount of inclination at the foot upon landing. All right. So heel strike to center of mass. The heel strike is, in this case, it's exactly where the heel strikes. However, if somebody were to land more of a foot flat, we just measure where the foot at the heel is when she lands. Then we say center of mass we know is at S2, which is essentially the lower back or the bottom portion of the lower back. And we drop a vertical line straight down from there. Then we measure the horizontal distance between her heel strike and the center of mass. Um, this is basically a number that there's not really a right answer for, but there's relative to your height and your speed, I would say there's a wrong answer for sometimes. So at 22 or 21 centimeters, those are, those are well within what I would consider a normal, reasonable distance for someone who is running 6.5 uh, miles per hour. 
and and Mia's height of five foot. Almost five five. Five five. So we'll say five five. So she's about average, maybe a little bit above average height. But let's say she was at she was four foot nine. She's a little bit younger, and she was taking that same step length and she was only going at 5.8 miles per hour, I might say that's actually a little bit too big of a step and we might want to shorten that step depending on the situation. Yeah. <clears throat> and just kind of an overriding statement with this whole analysis. My goal is performance and injury-free efficiency. So yes, I'm trying to get the fastest speed and, and, and run out of you, but I'm also, I oftentimes as a physical therapist, I deal with a lot of people who have some sort of pain and they're trying to get back on the field as soon as possible. So we try to strive for efficiency. And then once someone comes in and they say, no, I don't have any pain, I just want to be faster, that, that opens up a spectrum in terms of what I'm trying to do for you. Mm. All right, functional hip extension. So it is essentially hip extension just as a reminder, this is hip flexion, this is hip extension. The reason why we call it functional hip extension is because this is getting the leg behind you. So this is hip extension, but how are you doing it? Are you doing it from the hip joint, the ball and socket hip joint? Or are you actually doing it from your spine and your ball and socket hip joint? Hmm. So, um, Mia is just as a little background, she works out a lot. She has not had children yet. She's, she's, um, she's fit, she's light, she's young, she's strong. That's kind of the best case scenario. Um, when you have had three children and maybe two C-sections and you maybe are you know, a little bit heavier than you once were and you haven't worked out in two or three years, some of these things may change. Mm. And so functional hip extension on Mia was excellent. She got her hips behind her really quite well. And as we look in a little bit, she did not use her spine a lot to get there. Mm. A lot of times you get somebody who has had, um, has had some children or they're just, they're just, they sit a lot. So their hip, hips are very, very tight. Their lower abdominals are weak. Their core is weak. And then they're, they're not getting their hip behind them. And when they are getting it behind them, they're using their back a lot to do it. These are classic examples of how we get lower back problems from being runners. All right. So in terms of mid-stance knee flexion position. So we're looking at a verticality here. Um, the front of her kneecap relative to before the heel pops off the ground, we're looking to see if the knee is riding in front of the toes. You know, if you were teaching someone a squat, you would generally tell them not to do this, but to do something more like that. Mm. So essentially, in running, that's exactly what's happening. She's in a single leg squat position here, and her heel is sort of popping off here a little bit, not so much there, but we try to catch it before the heel pops up. And we want to see how far her body weight is in front of her toes. Our goal is obviously to keep the body weight back as much as possible. If Mia was in here and she's a patient telling me, yeah, I just really, I've been trying to get back into running, but the front of my knee's been killing me, this slide would tell me a lot. In this case, Mia hasn't really had any knee pain. She doesn't have a history of that. It would be something I would look out for if she was running longer distances and, um, 
complaining of these types of issues, I would absolutely say we got to look at that and maybe review that type of squat training to try to help her see that carryover into running. Mm, cool. All right, so trunk rotation. Um, this is kind of one of my favorite things to talk about real quickly because a lot of people come in with different per perspectives or opinions. So um, you get people who, you know, let's just go in, in Hamden where I used to live, there's a trail and you can go down that trail on a beautiful Saturday or Sunday and see 50 or 100 runners easily in a, in a three, three mile run. You'll see somebody who's 85 years old and been running their entire life and they run like this. And there's essentially no trunk rotation. And then again, you'll see somebody who's kind of weak and floppy and, and maybe not the strongest, but they love running. And they're kind of like this. Okay, so the question is, which one is right? Well, first of all, the right answer is, there's no wrong if you're pain-free and happy with how you're running. But the most efficient type of running and powerful, you know, um, you look at some of the Olympic sprinters, they have strong upper bodies. They also have a really good connection between their upper and their lower. So a lot of times Mia will prescribe to her, uh, her clients, she'll work with cross-body exercise. That's one of the reasons why. Some trunk rotation is good. If you're limited in trunk rotation because you're too stiff, that's not going to be good. Um, so we want there to be some trunk rotation, and sometimes from behind you can actually see there's a lack of trunk rotation on one side but not on the other. So I would say because of what we spoke about earlier, she's a little too rigid, and therefore I think she probably could use a little more trunk rotation, but I don't think she needs to force it. I think if she were able to soften up her spine and ribcage, it would just come naturally. Mm -hmm. It's from years of people saying, sit up straight. I know, exactly. <laughs> so this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, this, these two, there's, there's three lines here. You'll see the green angle, then you'll see a black line and another black line. Those two lines were taken looking at her, her pelvis when her leg was back and then when her leg was up. And then we, we make an angle using the green angle to look at how much that her pelvis changed. So it's natural for the pelvis to move a little bit. Mm -hmm. But if that number, which is 12 in your case, was 20 or 25, that would really tell me there's a lot. So I think 12 is maybe a little bit high, but really not much. Mm -hmm. All right, elbow angle. All right, so first off, there's two angles. You'll see here there's 280 and 289. Um, and again, who knows if those angles are perfectly measured. It's not the easiest thing to measure um, based on what I'm looking at here. It's really not that important. The key is that we don't want those angles to change drastically. So if her, if Mia were back here and she was, you know, quite open and then she gets up here and she's up here, you can see that this is 60 degrees and back here is 110. That's a big variance and that's not something we want. We want there to be consistency throughout the run so that there's really not a lot of up and down happening at the elbow. Mm. With that being said, we also want the elbow never to really open more than 90 degrees. So this is too big. If you're here or above, that's fine. You'll see some people that were taught to be really close and really, really small angle. And you'll find other people like Mia who are a lot closer to, she's at 
280 is exactly 80 degrees, that's totally fine. Uh, 289 is, is a little bit, is also fine. That's, that's 11 plus 60, 71 degrees, that's also fine. We just don't want there to be a lot of variance between that, and we don't want there to be big wide open arms. Okay, and rearward arm drive is really just how well you're driving behind you. So I've seen some people with a lot more than Mia. Um, some of that could be related to her lack of trunk rotation. But I, I think she is driving fine from her arms. It is good to get some drive from the arms because that helps to propel and that helps with that reciprocity between, or that reciprocation between the shoulder and the opposite pelvis. All right, so now we go to look from behind. So Mia, um, in this first slide, does an excellent job of limiting how much bounce, vertic vertically speaking, there is. I know there's discussion, like for instance, uh, Jay Dashari is a phenomenal PT who deals with them, tons of great runners, and he studies this quite a bit. I think he said approximately four to six centimeters is that gold zone. Um, I find that it's very hard to find anyone who's that low, but I've also heard eight or less is acceptable. That to me is even hard to find, but Mia did a great job of being in that eight range. Um, so what we do is we put a dot, we find something on her, so in this case I did the bottom of her uh, bra strap here, and then we use that same point, because that's not moving at all, so th that just goes up and down. Like if I use her hair, that's bouncing, you can't do that. Um, so we find that point at two different points, and we just measure what that height is based on something on a calibration that we've got. So 8.5 is definitely acceptable. It is good to have, you're going to have some up and down. So the goal is not to get that number as close to zero. Rather, the goal is to not be up at 12 centimeters because you're, you are trying to move forwards, not up and down. So there is kind of your sweet spot with what would be the best for you. You're not doing triple jumps. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so this is probably the biggest issue that I've found. Um, however, it's ironic because Mia is strong, yet eight, eight degrees of a pelvic drop is not ideal. So we want it to be about four or less. I'd say I'm not going to commit to four, but I think it's three or four that's considered totally normal. I, you know, if, if this would stay totally flat, that would be even more perfect than, than three or four degrees, but eight degrees seems like a lot. Um, however, her whole body generally, other than that, does a nice job of staying quite quiet, what is what I would say. We will look at the right leg and you will see there's a little bit of variance on the right versus the left in terms of general posture. But we'll work on trying to get her a little stronger in her hips. Um, females tend to have a little bit more mobility in their pelvis anyhow. If you were to compare her ability to belly dance versus mine, um, it's going to be better. But yet too much is, it can lead to problems. Let's say she was starting to increase her speed and mileage because she was trying to train for, you know, Boston Marathon. She might start to run into some issues because of that. All right, so let's look at what we call genuvalgum. That's, that is when your knee collapses inwards. So I want to say the left side is what I would say is a picture perfect view of what should be happening. So you see the hip. This is generally where the, the hip starts, 
middle, and then the ankle. You see almost perfect alignment. And the ironic thing is that the right is no different. It's five degrees on both sides, but if you take the angles away, it just looks worse. Hmm. You can see there's no window between her two knees on the right, mm -hmm. which there is on the left. And I think what's happening is her femur, which is the thigh bone, is actually rotating inward. So it's an internal rotation of the femur that might be the bigger issue. It's not that she's collapsing in, but there is something that's happening that's going inwards, and there's kind of a crossover of her two legs and her two knees. So that is definitely something that we would want to look at. Um, and if you look at the left picture even, you do see a little bit more stability at the pelvis while this is happening, mm -hmm. although that's not necessarily the exact same phase of the gait cycle left to right. Her shoulders are perfectly level throughout, so we don't really need to talk about that. If she did tell me that she's been getting a lot of stiffness or discomfort or numbness in a certain part of her shoulder blade, um, you know, at mile six or seven of her long runs, I might look a little bit closer to that, or that might be a clue for something, but um, I don't think she has that issue, and I don't see it on, on paper. That's good. <laughs> so rear foot collapse. Um, there's almost nothing wrong here on the left. It's, it's one degree off from perfect. I do actually think that if you look from, from behind, if you're looking at this ankle or, ankle or angle, you will see nine degrees of collapse. That's, you know, so nine degrees is not really fair to say because there is a, a normal amount of pronation that takes place in every ankle as you go through. But just looking at a picture, and as we afterwards, Mia and I will look at the actual run in real time and slow motion, and I think she'll agree when she sees it that there could be a little something going on at that ankle. Now again, I kind of want to um, reiterate, Mia is, is light and, so, and, and strong, but when you take her as an example, if you take somebody who's 50, 60 pounds heavier, 20 years older, not as strong, mm. these exact issues could be real problems. Mm. But because of, you know, being light is really helpful with something, um, with something like running. I had a doctor once talk to me about somebody who was, um, who was a runner and they were 220 pounds, which is not unheard of whatsoever. And, um, and it doesn't even imply that they're heavy. But he said, well, you know, when you're over 200 pounds, if you multiply, because the ground reaction force is two and a half times your body weight, two and a half times your body weight is going up through one leg. So at 200 pounds, that, that's 500 pounds of force coming up through your leg. Those, those numbers make a big difference pretty quickly. So we could look at this for, for some ankle training things. Um, we wouldn't worry about this. Foot winging is when your foot comes out like this. It usually is a clue into what might be happening at her hip. Um, in this case, she's perfect, but I do get some people who come out like this, and I even get some people who come out like this. And those, those definitely give us um, clues like, hmm, I wonder if there's some hip tightness maybe in her IT band, or maybe in her adductor muscle group. Alright, so these are a couple things I, I was um, noting earlier, and, and I think in general, we already discussed this one. This is the knees kind of kissing in the middle here, um, so that would be something we want to look at. Mm. And on the left, I just drew this box to show 
how a vertical, you know, your pelvis and your shoulders are almost perfect, but if you look at the elbow, you can definitely start to see how there's a little, some sort of a lean going on when you're on the mm -hmm. left leg. Mm -hmm. Just sort of reminding us that she's not perfect on her left side, but she is better on the left than the right. Mm. Alright, and this is the last slide we're going to look at here. So this was really quite interesting because even as, um, as good as, as Mia was in, in just about all of these angles, she had many of them that were really quite good. This picture told me a story. So when she's on one leg, we're trying to find where that point is left to right that goes straight up as much of her body as possible. So in this case, we go up the center of her spine, through her gluteal cleft, between her shoulder blades, and between her head. And guess what? It's right, it's the center of her body. Even though she's on one leg, it's literally just to the right of her left foot. That's good. That's basically, that's literally perfect. That, I don't see that very often. On the right side, I, look how far over to the right I had to go. So I'm almost on the right side, I am on the right side of her foot. And she's still not perfect, but we, we found the center of her body. But if I put that line, the same spot I did on the left, if I put it just to the left of that right foot and went straight up, that line is like halfway through the left half of her body. Yeah. So sure. her body is finding ways to compensate, and that's what we all do. We all do that. But when you see somebody who has a lot of weakness, you'll see them sort of walk like this. And that's just walking. So if you see them running, and there's a lot of sort of things like that happening, that is where a lot of injuries come from. When there is movement in the side-to-side -side plane or the torsional plane, you get more injuries. Mm. Whereas if you can stay in the plane that you're actually trying to move, which is this plane, then usually you're going to be a lot better off. So that was just kind of an interesting slide. Sometimes it tells me a lot, sometimes it really doesn't tell me anything. So the last slide here is just the strengths and weaknesses. It's a, it's a full breakdown of it. everything we just discussed, just so you can try to remember it all. And then from there we tend to go straight into exercise prescription. Um, I will just talk briefly about my summary with exercises and then we get into the very specific details. I have a glossary of several different exercises that I'll give to Mia in her run analysis binder and I'll check off um, the boxes that I think are most pertinent to what she needs to do in order to achieve the goals that we just discussed in terms of her deficiencies. That's awesome. It makes um, sense with the ACL. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, just as a global synopsis in terms of exercise, a lot of runners come in here and they specifically want to do running. Mm. But the truth is, I think you should also spend time swimming, biking, rowing, doing other types of things because you can get stronger doing those things and you can get cardiovascularly stronger without always having to just run and beat your body up. Right. Um, so I talk a little bit about that. And then the other thing that I sort of remind people is that to be fully well-rounded, to take a pizza and cut it into four or four equal slices, you need strength, flexibility, balance, and um, sort of motor control training. So you need to spend time running with proper technique. Most of us have never been taught how to run, but yet we could, bet, we could be better at 
actually how we run. So that's where technique drills works. You have to have it, right? Yeah, and then you get some people who spend, you know, 80% of the time spending focus on flexibility training, but only 20% of the time on strength. Right. And they actually might need the reverse. So everyone needs, I don't want to say everyone needs equal size slices, but everyone should spend some time on each of those four areas. Mm -hmm. And I think that is really paramount because some people are tight, you know, tight as a drum, and really strong, and then other people come in and they're they're um, not that strong, but they're very flexible. Mm. So I think to be able to achieve all the goals that we want with the run analysis and and the uh, you know efficient, strong performance of running, you need to be able to attack all of those areas. Mm. Thanks so much, Brian. You're Appreciate welcome. It. Yeah, absolutely. Great. All right, good. <laughs>